I notice there's room to lay down, and so feel free if you would like to. <laughs> to your rector, Chris, to Greg, to all my friends here at St. Michael and All Angels, thank you for your welcome. Particularly for these folks sitting right here in the very closest seat to the pulpit, you get extra credit, okay? You get your card punched twice. That's a good thing. Whenever you invite a visiting preacher, and I hear it is not a common thing here, it is always a little nerve-wracking. And then you get some guy who's been the dean of a seminary, that's even higher anxiety, and they come from New York City, and it's almost unacceptable, right? You kind of wonder, what in the world is he going to say? Well, I want to tell you a little story about the man who was the dean when Lisa and I were there. His name was Ward Ewing, and he is from Ten Mile, Tennessee. That's what we do in New York. We get all the country folks from the South to teach them what's right. He said that when he was first beginning his ministry in the parish, they had a little small church. He said there were so few people they counted the dog if it came in the, in the, in the attendance book. And his daughters, he had three daughters, sort of stair-step age, and they all sat right here on the front pew, right like that. And he said he got up to preach one day, and the youngest daughter got up on the front pew and said, Jesus, 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 that's all he ever talks about is Jesus. <laughs> that really stuck with me. So I thought that I would talk to you all about Jesus. It's a good thing to do when you're the dean of a seminary from New York City. And I want to talk to you about Jesus through the eyes of my barber, okay? Now, you don't know who I am. Some of you and I have been friends for a while, and others of you I recognize from the other times I've been here, but largely you don't know who I am. So I would like to tell you my whole history so you would get to know it, but that's not possible. But I want to give you a little snippet. So I was a lawyer for 15 years in Jacksonville, Florida. I was a trial lawyer, and got a good old-fashioned call from God, and I went to seminary, and I went to general seminary in New York City. Now, I'm just a southerner, and so I was a foreigner in this land, and the first thing you do, of course, is look for a barber. So I went to a number of places, and I did not want to spend $120 for a haircut. It's not that complex. <laughs> and I finally found this place, and it had the fanciest name, Jean-Louis Pierre. Now, I, you know, Jean-Louis Pierre. Uh, but no, no, Jean-Louis Pierre in New York speak. And my barber's name was Peter. And Peter was from Russia. And he was a Russian Jew who had emigrated out. And he was really from the Ukraine, which I later realized. But he was Russian. Now, I don't know why, but it seems it's sort of like historically the cops in New York were Irish. Well, the barbers are all Russian. I, I, I can't explain it. They just are. It's just how it goes. So Peter was my barber for three years. I liked him. He charged like $23.50 or something. It was, you know, outrageous for my standards, but it was very fair for New York. And so after three years, I graduated. I moved back to Florida, spent 10 years there. And then I was called to be dean of general. I went back, and I, I had sort of rough anxiety. Where am I going to get my hair cut? And so I went to Jean-Louis Pierre, completely out of business. The, the letters were pried off of the marquee out front. Uh, nobody knew who they were. They certainly didn't know who Peter was. I was crestfallen. Where was Peter, my barber? What would I do to get my hair cut? So I found somebody or other, and it was mildly acceptable. And I spent a year sort of 
dissatisfied with who's cutting my hair. Until one day, completely out of the blue, I am walking down 46th Street toward 6th Avenue. I look to the right, and a huge plate glass window. There is Peter cutting someone's hair. Now, keep in mind, New York City, there are 20 million people where the railroad tracks run, 7 million people in the city limits, 2 million people in Manhattan. How likely is it that Peter the barber is right there through the window? So I walked in the front door, and I walked around, and I walked up to his stand, and he looked at me in the mirror. In the middle of cutting someone's hair, he put his things down, he turned around and said, so where have you been? Ten years, Peter the barber from Russia, so where have you been? This morning's gospel is a little like that. It's all about Jesus. You see, Mark is telling the story, and remember, Mark's the shortest of all the gospels. He is efficient in words. Mark tells the story about July in the Holy Land. Jesus and the disciples, they are hot and tired, they have done miracles, they are finished with work. And Jesus says, come on now, we're going to go and we're going to find some vacation time. Now, my wife and I, Kathleen, she's, raise your hand and wave so you all can say hi to her. No, really, come on, she's so shy. That's my wife of 31 years. We, uh, we were at General Convention uh, last week, and we got this invitation to be here today, so we thought, what in the world are we going to do? Well, we decided we would drive around West Texas, because that's what you do when you're from New York City. It is so abundantly clear to us now how Texas could be its own country. You have this vast amount of land with cultural and industrial and agricultural diversity. It, it is hot in different ways in different areas of the state of Texas. In Marfa, it's a completely different hot than it is in, say, Marathon or Fredericksburg or Dallas. So I know, I know when Mark tells us the story of Jesus and his disciples, how they needed some time off, what was going on in their minds. So he took them away to a deserted place. That did not work out well. That did not work out well, not for Jesus and the disciples, but for the people who were hunting for Jesus. They wanted to know where is Jesus. Why? Because his fame had pre See, uh, 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 preceded him. Now, because I'm a former lawyer, I'm always, always interested in what's missing. And if you look in your bulletin, you will see, not your church, but somebody 500 years ago when they came up with the lectionary for today, they left out a big part of Mark. So you look at chapter 6, beginning in the 30th verse, and there's this big missing piece. Well, it must be inconsequential, right? Hardly. It's the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. The, these are like job duties of Jesus. So when he tries to go away, he is still doing things. He's feeding 5,000 people with nothing, and he's walking on water. Now, I don't know about you all. I know things are bigger in Texas. Maybe you have done this, but I have done neither. Neither thing. We entertain constantly in our apartment. It's part of my job, part of Kathleen's job. We've never had 5,000 people for dinner. I have been to shallow pools before, but it would just be a trick. I do not walk on water. Jesus does. Jesus does. So as they are trying to get away, as they are headed toward Marfa, the people are following. The people are following. 
they finally find Jesus. And they say to him, so where have you been? So where have you been? The thing that you know, I suspect, because you are who we define as the faithful. My goodness, in the middle of July, you are here at the 9 o'clock service. And I hear there are millions, perhaps, watching by internet. Is that what? Is this the truth? There are others who are also faithful. But you are here not to hear me. You are here to hear about Jesus. Now, what does Jesus do? Well, what we learn in Scripture is Jesus heals. He really heals. Now, when you say heal, what does that really mean there, Kurt? Heal means heal in the very common sense of the word. One time, this was 30 years, 25 years ago, a healthy guy, I've never had any health problems, I had a heart arrhythmia. You know what that is? It's where your heart beats in a funny way. Some of you may be nodding because you know it. Maybe some of you have it. It's real. It exists. And there's almost no cure for it. Oh, I can put in a pacemaker. And when, and when you're 32, that's a really fun thing to hear. Oh, you can get a pacemaker. Great. Sometimes they can do a cardiac infarction. You know what that is? Where they shock you. Shock you back into rhythm. And so all these things were facing me. I was even on Coumadin. You know what Coumadin it is? It's commonly called rat poison. But in certain titrations, it helps thin your blood to a point where it doesn't pool and give you a stroke. And nothing was working. And this woman prayed over me, prayed and prayed for one hour. I mean 60 minutes, not proverbially an hour or what seemed like an hour, but it was an hour of prayer. When I went in the next day, arrhythmia gone. So what does Jesus do? Why would people follow him to his vacation? Why, in fact, would they track him down? The feeding of the 5,000, magnificent, walking on water, a spectacular thing happening. But when one makes you whole, when one makes you whole at age 32 or 62 or 102, if one makes you whole physically or mentally, and you've got things in your life you cannot believe that you are living with, but you give them to Jesus, and even those things, they don't go away, but life goes on, that is being made whole. So when you read in Scripture that people bring Jesus, folks, on mats so that they just touch the hem of His garment and are made whole, these are true stories. I mean, with a capital T, true. It's not a big surprise. It's not a big surprise at all that people tracked down Jesus on his vacation. Now, I'm, I don't think I'm going to step on any toes here. I might. I might. I might step on an internet toe or two. In other parts of the country, there may be lots of wounded feet with this statement. But I believe it. That if you want to experience God, the way to do it is through Jesus Christ. Why? Because the way that God wants us to live is to be whole, is to be healed, is to be redeemed in fancy theological language. When we were in the Big Bend area, 
we went to something called St. Elena Canyon. It's this tremendous structure cut by the Rio Grande River into an enormous butte of a mountain. You walk out on this stone beach, and by the way, it was 108 that day. You walk out on this stone beach, and you could see Mexico just like where that railing is. That's how wide the Rio Grande is there. And this small river cut this enormous, enormous gash in the mountain. The place was filled with people. And a random Tuesday in July at 108 degrees. Why? Because that canyon is not available anywhere else. You cannot see it anywhere else. You cannot experience what it has done anywhere else. When Scripture tells us that people came in masses to just be near Jesus, just so that He would brush the garment across their wounds, you can be assured that they say throughout their life, so Jesus, where have you been? And He says back, I've been right here. Where have you been? Amen.